It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Welcome, everybody, to our first episode of Great Practices Podcast. I'm excited to be launching this official podcast of the PMO Leader and serving as one of its hosts. So between myself and John C. Vijarajan, we'll be splitting the host duties of Great Practices, with each one of us coming out with a new episode about every month or so. So what is the Great Practices podcast all about? Well, I think back to a conversation I overheard uh, with my nephew a number of years ago. He was probably six or seven years old, and someone asked him, they said, well, what's your favorite, what's your favorite movie? He says, I don't know. I haven't seen them all yet. And I thought that was pretty profound. When I reflect back on that, I kind of think about that's the same thing with best practices. If you say that something is best, I guess it goes under the assumption that you've seen everything or you've seen every practice, every way of doing something as it relates to PMOs or project management. And that's probably not the case. But what you probably have seen is enough to be able to say when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about, is talking with PMO and project management practitioners who just through years of trial and error, years and years of doing the job, have discovered maybe a process or a framework, a template, a productivity tool, a tips and tricks, something that helps them make their job easier and then sharing this with you. Now, our first episode today, for example, is with Joe Sisto, who's the PMO director of Ronstad North America. And it's going to be talking about why reports are so prolific, what's better than reports, and how can we get rid of reports that are no longer valuable and just taking up space. And I'm sure that you'll enjoy this conversation as we kick off this great practice. And you know, if you have a great practice that you want to share and you want to be a guest on the show, could be anything related to PMOs, scope creep, shifting priorities, how to escalate, issues management, delivering bad news, executive communication, the list goes on and on. Anything related to uh, running a PMO, we'd love to hear from you. Anything that you've developed a great practice around, we'd love to get you on as a guest on the show and talk to you a little bit further about that. So if that's you, uh, you can go to the pmoleader.com, the pmoleader.com, click on community, and then uh, click on great practices podcast. You'll scroll down to the bottom of that page and there's a form that's just ready to be filled out. And then either John C or myself will get back with you about being a guest. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you on that. And also, that's where you can listen to past episodes once we start getting past episodes, and you want to be able to subscribe to the podcast as well so you don't miss a single great practice. So with no further ado, let's get into our first episode with Joe Sisto, PMO Director for Ronstad, as he discusses his view of reports and something that he's found that is much better, dare we say, a great practice when it comes to providing information. 
All right. Well, we have Joe Sisto on today, and this is our inaugural episode. So first of all, Joe, we just really appreciate you having the guts to, to jump on episode number one of Great Practices. We're, we're very glad that you're here. So, so, Joe, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. Chris, I am the director of PMO um, for Ronstadt North America, and we are a um, fairly large company here in North America. I believe we're five billion in size and many, many thousands of employees and temp workers. We're in the temporary and full-time staffing and services business. And the second largest in the world with over 68,000 people daily being staffed. Um, uh, And we have offices uh, all around the world actually now and all around the U.S. My responsibilities are for the North American PMO, which covers uh, well over 500 offices in the United States. We have an IT shop here uh, and we're a projectized PMO. We handle a small, medium and large projects as a service organization to our lines of business, which include... Uh, about nine lines of business, and that also includes Monster.com, which you may be familiar as uh, the online service. Yeah, sure. That's been around for a number of years, hasn't it? Yeah. No, no doubt about that. Um, so, Joe, let me ask you this. what What is your definition of a PMO? And you briefly touched on it about how it's set up at your company, but you know, there's all different definitions of what a PMO is. How would you define a PMO? Ooh, um, first of all, a PMO is a... a uh, a higher level of a project-based organization, which means you work on and support things that need to be projectized. Definition of that is things that have a start and end and build a product or service that continues in the organization. That's a pretty generic definition, but we support a portfolio of those things in support of the business and business operations. And we make sure every and quarterly that we're aligned to business needs by doing dashboards and reports to show what work we're doing and how we're delivering it for their needs. So that is our topic for today, right? Is is reports. That's my first question yeah. to you is, is, have you ever used a report before? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, I've been working with reports for an embarrassingly long time. Um, and, and I won't say the date I started working with reports, but when I started working, we used to back up our reports on these things. 6250 BPI, which would be mounted on tape drives on IBM machines. Um, and this goes back to the 80s. Uh, but yeah, a very, very long time when reports were on tractor feed paper. Okay. And we had devices called decalators and bursters, which would high volume print reports into giant baskets, buckets, and, and boxes for people. <laughs> All right. So you're, I would say you're an expert at reports then. So what are, oh, what yeah, are the problems then that you've seen? over the years when it comes to either generating these reports, consuming reports, you know, especially as it relates to, to a PMO and a project management office. Enterprise software, Chris, has become so good at what it does, uh, which is tracking, and then I'm speaking enterprise software like Oracle, PeopleSoft, JD Edwards, SAP tools have been so good at making report generation easy for people. Yeah. Now, we, you know, we are consistently producing hundreds and hundreds in the many hundreds to even thousands of reports per application um, because it's just so easy to make them, yeah. right? And over the years, people keep creating reports for unique business needs. The problem is they never die. They live like <laughs> ever until you try to kill them. Right. Another problem with that, if I may add, is that we have now an information overload. 
most, most people are not really reading these things anymore. Now, you, you had mentioned something about that earlier. Uh, how do we know people aren't reading these reports? Ah, good question. Um, Chris, um, we have usage um, statistics that we run in Oracle um, that tell us who's, who's using them and not, and when it was last used and when those queries were run. Um, and they're pretty accurate. Um, they're, they're actually very accurate. And we re now report those back to the business going, well, we've run a usage report for the last 12 months and the last 24 months. Yeah. Some reports only run once a year because I recognize that we have audit auditor things and tax things that have to get done. So we now have a catch-all that says after 24 months, if the report's never been touched, it's on the list for deletion and we review that. Yeah. And I guess it's a probably a staggering high percentage, right? That yeah, um, we've had some applications where forty percent of the reports haven't been touched, and we've gone to great lengths to clean that up and to get the number of reports generated to a smaller number. So it seems like part of the problem, what I'm hearing you say, is it's so easy to generate reports that we get information overload, right? And then once they've been generated, it ends up being that they do take a life of their own and, and they're, they're hard to make go away, is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. You just take up space. You know, back in the old days, if you wanted to write a report, in the very old days, you had to know somebody, a computer yeah. programmer. Then they got easier and they made it so you could write your own SQL statement with little assistance, you know, dragging and dropping statements. Now all reports are drag and drop, click and configure. Yeah. Um, it's become tremendously easier. Yeah. And, you know, I guess it's a two edged sword, right? I mean, it is good if you do need it that you can you can make it easier, um, but it does it does get a little bit overwhelming. Now, let's say let's say that there is um, let's say there is some value in some reports you know, that are being generated, you know, and, and certainly there is going to be. What are your suggestions? What great practices have you come across that you can make them actionable? What, what tips wow. Okay. That? So this is actually a long list answer. So I'm going to may spend a few minutes on this one. Sure. Um, to make them more actionable, when you're creating them, try to really not do the report and make it a dashboard. So that you're either not printing more paper or using more computer cycles to do that. Okay. And a lot of times configurable dashboards using, you know, tools like Tableau or Power BI, and there's a lot of them, um, is much preferable and users like that. Yeah. Recently, I did a telephony system implementation, which had 105 out-of-the-box reports in this application. <laughs> who's using telephone when? Who's overusing it? How many long-distance calls? You know, how much money was spent by group, department, and individual. In reality, what we really needed is just who was exceeding a certain threshold. Hmm. Um, it, who was abusing it, and then who was making all the volumes to calls that made their sales quotas. Um, that we decided to make into a dashboard, rather than run all the reports of what everybody was using all the time for a division that had over 200 offices, which was enormous numbers of reports. Right. Um, this move to dashboards would be my first suggestion. Um, and a lot of people are doing that, but I suggest doing that as part of the development cycle. Don't create reports first, create dashboards that executives really use for executive decision-making and business people use for decision-making. Um, and, and try not to set up all the default reports when you're doing an application, really be judicious. It's easy to turn everything on, um, but it's better to turn everything off at first. Okay, that's that's uh, yeah, that's good advice, right? Just kind of um, 
I suggest doing an annual audit of reports and applications. And if you're not doing it annually, here's, here's one way to tie it into a good behavior. Um, last year, I spent upgrading um, nine different PeopleSofts and JD Edwards applications in our company. Um, when you do the upgrade to a new version of Oracle or a new version of the application, that's a good time to do an audit. Nice. Um, that's a good time to say, let's spend a week or two going through everything that's, that uh, is going to be part of this upgrade and just see if it's still worth being part of the upgrade or converting over. And that's usually just a few simple um, review meetings with the business to see if these things are still applicable. And yeah. it's worth turning them off if they're not. What else you got on your list? Um, I call it, well, maybe the word is called triage. <laughs> if you have existing reports, some you can't turn off because they're mandatory or regulatory that you have to report on. Yeah. How many employees are this? How many employees are that? Here, here are copies, here are forms that have to be turned in. Here's data that we have to keep regarding certain people. And there's a lot of mandatory reports. Um, and in the last year, Chris, they've even increased the number of mandatory reports because of regulation. For example, in California, we now have to do reporting on employees who receive training because there's a new law in California that says everybody that receives training must be logged, documented, and um, they must be paid for that. So we now have to audit that and make sure as any part of onboarding training, that has to be a paid experience. Um, and it turns out New York followed that. So now the biggest two states in the country are, are following that. And so that has to be turned on. And you have to be very aware of those and keep those alive forever. Um, so you need to sort those out. The ones that are important and mandatory or regulatory, and those are growing. And those that are um, optional, I call it everything else is optional. Sure. You, you really need it for business operations. Um, and some things you do like uh, trial balances um, and audit trails that you need to keep for accounts payable and receivable that need to get that need to get printed out. Try not to print them. Obviously, print to uh, print to a storage device or, or uh, repository somewhere. Um, make sure reports have owners, and when owners change, um, ask the new owner, "Do you really want this?" Because some do and some don't. Some some have already come from other organizations that need that need different kinds of reporting. And what we're finding is when new people come in, a lot of them don't want those reports. They really want right. metrics and dashboards, metrics and dashboards, metrics and dashboards. Right. Um, and the metrics that are in the old standard reports don't cut it anymore. There's a lot of new metrics that people are looking at today. Um, and, and you can run with most applications uh, usage reports. So not just the fact that they haven't touched it, but how often are they looking at it? Or can some reports be combined? It's all sound. It's pretty standard, but I think maybe there's a good best practices cookbook for all this. Somebody will publish someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great list to go down there. Um, you know, as far as just really, it's just being report conscious almost, you know, it's like yeah. they just, it's like they just kind of go on and they just continue to accumulate and more and more and, you know, they just get unwieldy. But it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you're very deliberate, right? So you've got, you've got an annual review or when you upgrade into a new system. I mean, that's perfect yeah. timing right there, right? Uh, I like that idea about the, the, the triage piece, right? I mean, you're going to have these regulatory reports, not an option. You know, those, those are mandatory, so that's fine. So you kind of set those yeah. aside and you're not going to touch those. 
Um, but I think that's, you know, the rest of it, it's up for, is certainly up for discussion, you know, and you are right. People leave the company and there's been, you know, maybe a lot of effort that went into putting a report together for a particular, uh, you know, executive or vice president or somebody, and they're no longer there and nobody even needs that report anymore. Right. But unless you, if you, unless you have that audit process, I think it could definitely go on, go on living forever. Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this then you've, you've mentioned this a, a number of times. It was actually the first thing on your list there about, about dashboards. You know, this seems to obviously be the, be, be a great direction to be going here. What's, what's the minimal amount of information or what's, what do you absolutely have to be, have on every dashboard? What would you say the minimal amount of information is there? Well, that's, um, that's a tough question, Chris. Um, let me try to think in the most generic of terms. Um, you need performance statistics and representation of what's happening currently. You need a trend analysis of what happened in the past. Usually for most lines of business or most teams, there's three or four key performance indicators. And they, they fall into just a few general categories, Chris. So I like to call them um, productivity indicators. You know, what are the key productivity indicators? Um, the second, what are the cost trackers um, that, that you're accounting for? And, and similarly, what are your resource trackers? How are your resources performing or what resources and it could be any kind of resources, by the way. I've done some pretty interesting things over the past few years, and, um, and I'll give you a couple of examples. I've worked in JIRA, which is an uh, agile tracking tool, and I've seen some teams track their utilization of their resources, how many stories they're working on daily and weekly. Yeah. And then I've worked in another company a few years ago that was doing resource tracking on how many MIPS, how much memory, and so forth was being used by Google services so they can control their costs on a daily and weekly basis. So we've been running huge query expenses. Um, so that, that's a great in, you know, set of cost indicators that we have to watch very closely. And another is resource indicators, but they're both basically resources, dollars and people. Sure. Right? And I'm noticing this now as a pattern in dashboards everywhere I go. And the same thing with the basic, you know, how am I doing this week versus last week or last period? Right. And it is getting better. I want to go back to what you, you started out. Um, so you were basically you were saying, you know, productivity, cost trackers, um, you know, resources, that type of thing. But what was the first thing you said? You said performance, uh, statistic trends. You, you, go back to that for a second. If you yeah. Can. So um, basic. Um, how much did we sell? How much did we sell versus prior time period? How much yeah. did we? increase or decrease or did we stay the same and the more visual this is the better right colors use um, arrows use indicators um, use graphs and charts uh, everywhere you can and find the tools that help you build that really really quickly um, so what I'm finding is most companies have two or three of these tools everywhere from very I call it very simple like tableau which is basically excel based right and there's plenty other tools similar to that where you can import your worksheets and, and work from there and build a sophisticated tool. And then you get to a certain level of sophistication, you have to move to the next level of tool, you know, for those kind of, for so the, so some of those things like Power BI right. and other similar tools. I'm not married to those, but I've used quite a few. Um, 
No, but I think you're, I think you're right. It's like, um, you know, just directional is a big deal. You know, it's like up, down, you know, is, are we going in the, are we going in the right way? Um, I just think always too, when I think of, um, you know, what, what do people want to know? It's always a little bit about where we've been more about where we're going. And then certainly what's in the way also, you know, if there's any obstacles in the way. So if any of that kind of information, you know, can be, can be included in that, I think that would certainly be helpful as well. Yeah. You know, in the long um, you know, who's really good at this is retailers. So I've worked at a, a couple of retailers here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And I've noticed both do something incredibly well, and that's the timeliness of reports. So both retailers, whether one retailer um, um, sells home improvement stuff and the other retailer sells uh, clothing and other items. Um, I've worked at both and literally the next morning I could see flash reports about how many shirts sold, how many polo shirts sold in one department, right? whether it's increasing hourly, daily, et cetera. Right. Um, these would be like right away. And they, they trended by day, by week, by month and by season, season last year. Um, and they've done a phenomenal job of showing that the other retailer has also done a phenomenal job. I would know next morning, how many kitchen counters were sold, how many faucets in each department. And the department heads would see this, not as a written report, but flash to their computer. Um, and if there was any even slight blip, people, that would be the big discussion of the day. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, timeliness, right? Just that yeah, thing. super timely. So um, I remember uh, literally three years ago, summer, all of a sudden we noticed white countertops were selling like crazy. Just anybody, people were buying white. And I had no idea. And then of course, in September, I read in some magazine, white is the new trend in you know, kitchens. It's like, I didn't know that, right? Yeah. But we, saw, we saw that. I worked for another uh, retailer here in Atlanta a few years ago where we were tracking sales of milkshakes um, that were being sold every day. Um, literally daily sales of milkshakes. And in the Atlanta area, I think there was five counties, we were selling 11,000 milkshakes a day in July. Um, and then all of a sudden it started spiking up. You could literally track milkshake sales by temperature. <laughs> so they were another uh, company that was just great at following that and putting dashboards up. Um, and we started to do those dashboards, oddly enough, because of, of a business problem. We were running out of product. Um, we couldn't tie. We were running out of milk and we were running out of flavoring. And the, the restaurant owners were going to Kroger to buy more to make more <laughs> We didn't realize sales were jumping up so quickly. So this dashboard basically allowed you to get ahead of that, sounds like. Yeah. Just kind of knowing what the it trend did. was, right? Where because it would help us predict shortages, and then we tied it into supply chain to automatically reorder certain products once we saw sales going up, you know, beyond a certain percentage. Yeah, that's excellent. So very, very helpful stuff. They really save money or make money much more than reports do. They're just too, they're, they're not uh, responsive enough, yeah. you know, to serve the business. So it sounds like you clearly are a dashboard fan, which makes perfect sense. You know, I, I really am. Yeah, I hate to That's, admit it. But so let but me I ask do, you. This I do thing. know there's how, always a place for reports. How how do you kill a report? Then do you just do you just um, do you just quit doing that, or do you tell people you're going to quit doing it? What's what's your? Oh well, wow, that's such doing? a philosophical question. You know, I have thought, in you know, if I have an evil Joe here. It would be, I'll just kill them and see what, who complains. Yeah. And other people have thought that thought. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do run them by the business to get their approval. Sometimes it takes some cajoling. 
Um, especially if they were written a long time ago, people are hesitant to, to kill something, especially old sales reports that really nobody's reading anymore. Um, the other way is to convince people to archive them to disk, right? Instantly archive them and then access them through some other method if needed. Um, so that's, that's another way to kill them. Um, and, and to me, that is, is step one, but it still doesn't kill them, kill them because you're eating up resource cycles and disk right. cycles, which by the way, Chris are also very expensive today. If you've ever had to buy storage today, I think you'll be shocked at how expensive it is. You know, even though the cost per terabyte has dropped, the yeah. number of terabytes that you need now to run an organization is dramatically increased. Yeah. So really don't want to save these things. So it sounds like it sounds like your great practice there would be, you know, if you're going to get rid of a report, run it by run it by the owners, right? Run it by business. Make sure that you've, you know, you've done your due diligence and your homework there. Um, show them the benefits of the fact that, you know, you could be certainly saving money, right? Simplifying yeah. things. And maybe it's a matter of combining it or take them to a dashboard, right? So I mean it could be yeah. a bunch of different ways. There's some companies that have said, and I know two or three here in Atlanta that have said, we're going to charge you and we're going to implement software now that every report you generate, you're going to get, you're going to get charged for. And even if it's 15 cents, a lot of them are shocked when they get a, a $42,000 a month bill, right. Uh, for the reports. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. That leads to a lot of enemies. And, uh, but, but I know several companies here that have done that to try to reduce expenses by pushing back all of that resource cost back to the departments. It is yeah. one way to do it. And believe me, it happens fast, but I believe partnering with the business more, more than anything. Yep. Sounds like a much, sounds like a much better approach. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you have covered a lot of ground here. We definitely appreciate your insights and, uh, sounds like you've used a report or two in your days. So I definitely do appreciate you coming on our first episode. And, uh, I'm sure this is going to be the first of first of many, uh, that will be coming up. So, Joe, if anybody wants to connect with you, they want to talk about reports more. What's what's a good way to what's a good way to get in touch? I am on LinkedIn, and I freely uh, put my phone number in there. Rarely people do that. Yeah. And also, my my link and my address and my company uh, address, so I can be found on LinkedIn. Okay. All right. Excellent. So, all right. Again, Joe, thank you very much for being our first guest, and I'm sure you, we Chris. will talk to you again. All right. Take care. Have a great day. So as I listened back over the conversation, there was a couple of great practices I'm taking away from this. First of all, uh, Joe's certainly not a big fan of reports, right? Kind of moving away from reports. Uh, there is going to be a place for reports. They're never going to totally go away. But uh, his number one thing was move to dashboards, right? When it comes to working with reports. So if you are working with reports and you have to continue with that, a couple of other good points you brought out, do an annual audit uh, on the reports that you're using or at the time that you upgrade to a new system, that's the time to reevaluate what reports you need. And I thought this was a key point as well, is instead of starting with them all turned on and then turning off eventually what you don't need, start with them all turned off and then eventually go ahead and turn on the ones that you do need. So that way you're just not getting lost in all of that over that overwhelming information. Uh, make sure reports have owners and run usage reports. I thought that was also very telling uh, to run a usage report. See, is anybody even care about that report? If not, go ahead and kill it. But 
as you mentioned, loves dashboards. So when it comes to dashboards, I thought a couple of great practices were the fact that what should be on a dashboard? You're going to have performance statistics. You're going to have some form of something that reflects the current state that that project or that program is in, some trend lines of where the project or program has come in the past. And of course, there's always going to be these KPIs as it relates to productivity, cost, some type of resource tracker. These are really going to be the bare minimums of what you're going to want to have on a dashboard. And finally, how do you stop reporting the best practice? Oh, not best practice, but a great practice. I don't know. Maybe this one could be a best practice is tell the person that you're going to stop that report. Just don't just don't pull that report off the shelf and make it disappear. But a best practice is let, let that group, let that department, let that person know that that report is no longer going to be there. And maybe you're going to move it over to a, a dashboard at that point. So great information, great conversation. And again, we appreciate Joe being on the show. So if you are interested in being a guest, again, you can go to the pmoleader.com, click on community, and then you're going to see the PMO Leader podcast. You can go down and there's a form there to fill out and let us know what you're interested in talking about. And we'd love to have you uh, as a guest on our next show.